Hello, and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists speaking the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode two of the Locust and Honey podcast. Join us as we discuss the need for reformation in the church today. And if you'd like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing to the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Behold my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Well, how's it going, everybody? Hey there. Welcome back. We've got an exciting episode today. Um, this is true. Happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. For those of you that didn't know, October 31st is Reformation Day. 504 yes. years ago, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door. And we're still celebrating it today. Yeah, and that is something that we... Do not take lightly here at Locust and Honey. That's true. Anything nailed to a door, we take very seriously. Right. So, yeah, so we are excited to have an awesome episode queued up for the day. But first, yeah. maybe we get it started on some things that we're into right about now. Okay. So, like what? Just something that we think is cool or? Yeah, something that we think is cool, something that we think is just interesting. What if is... we think it's tubular? Well, I'm sure that, I don't know what that means, but I'm sure that qualifies what if we thought it was radical radical or bodacious bodacious any any of these things anything so okay so just we've got interesting tubular radical bodacious what if we hate it well like if it's interesting if it's like if i those if i was just uh in my car today and i heard something i'm like man i hate that could i bring that up oh yeah yeah oh okay so why don't you start us off then, uh, okay. Andrew? Um, hey, Andrew. Hey. By the way, my name is Matt. This is Andrew. This is the Logos and Honey podcast. <laughs> yes, Andrew. What are you into? Well, right now, I guess we've okay. So Reformation Day is October thirty first. <laughs> the day we're recording Today. this is not necessarily October thirty first. Oh yet. golly! So man. you just showed them the wizard behind the curtain. The <laughs> We're doomed. Oh, anyway. So if you guys listened to the last episode, which we would definitely encourage that. That's true. I am into baseball. And okay. the Atlanta Braves have just clinched their division. Awesome. So, so for the fourth straight year, which makes me really happy. In a month from now, will that be important news if they lose? Well, yeah. I'd still, I still enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, also, there was a big old noise that like shook my apartment when did that like happen 10 o'clock last night last night yeah yeah i saw on facebook too some people capture video and it's just this big old fire trail <laughs> in the sky <laughs> <It's>, 
It's really weird. It's really. They're saying that uh, SpaceX had a ship coming back with a bunch of goodies from outer space. Yeah. On it. Is it like? And that was it. Yeah. Entering, very, very entering the atmosphere. Yeah, a bunch of goodies. What that means? Uh, they said it can help Alzheimer's. Oh, well, that's and good. dementia, and well, that is good. Other things. Yeah. So. Where we live, it, you know, it's not uncommon to have sonic booms just wreck you in the middle of the day. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're right by an Air Force base that does a lot of work on F-16s. Yeah. And so I thought it was one of those for a second. And I was like, but it wasn't as strong as that. But it was at like 10 o'clock at night. So I was like, what in the world? And then I go on Facebook and there's a bunch of pictures of like a fire trail. I was like, okay, well. Yeah. That's yeah. true. It did happen. It did happen. So that's what I'm into at the moment. What are you into? Well, right now we are in the heart of football season and baseball season for my two boys. Um, Elijah, my oldest, this is his first year playing tackle football. He plays for the Bengals. Would you say he's playing well? I would say he's doing really well. Uh, (laughs) So it's his first year, and he is the starting running back and the starting uh, linebacker. And um, his last game, he had five carries, 168 yards, and three touchdowns. So he's doing pretty good. Basically, Elijah averages like 40 yards per carry every game (laughs) (laughs) for the season. (laughs) And then uh, Ezra, my middle age, he's five. This is his first year on a baseball team where he's not the little brother of Elijah. Um, So he's kind of coming into his own, and last night he hit two inside-the-park home runs and uh, had a really good game as well. So uh, I'm into watching them do stuff that they love and watching them succeed at it. It's a proud parent moment. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I'm into. All right, so as we get into our topic today, the need for reformation in the American church today. Need Need for reformation in the American church, true or false? True. Okay. So, but why? Why? That is a good question. That's what, are you asking me to give my opinion on why? Well, I think before we give our opinion mm-hmm. on why we believe that there is a need for a reformation in the American church today, let's take a look back 504 years ago at the reformation that happened then. Let's do that. And see if there's any similarities. Sounds good. 504 years ago, what was going on? So 504 years ago, the church was the Catholic church. Um, That was the predominant Christian church in the land. And it had become this big conglomeration. It was basically this huge business, this huge infrastructure. And they started doing some crazy stuff. Things like being able to pay a tithe to get a loved one that had died into heaven and there was just a, a lot of things, uh, a lot of corruption, a lot of misunderstanding of the gospel, a lot of works being added to the gospel. And you had this young monk who was translating the Bible. And as he was translating Romans, uh, he really started to wrestle with what he was seeing in Scripture and then what he was seeing taking place around him in the church. So... One of the things that was a cry of the Reformation, it's on the spine of my Bible. It says, post tenebras lux, which means out of darkness, light. During that day, there was a lot of spiritual darkness. The church was 
translating and interpreting scripture and presenting that to the people, there was not a lot of people that had a Bible and they're reading it and interpreting it and applying it to their life. You've got people that were trying to get the word into everybody's hands, but uh, the Catholic Church was fighting pretty hard against that. So Martin Luther starts to see some things that don't add up. Uh, There ends up being about 95 points of contention that he has. So he nails that on the Wittenberg door to discuss that with the other monks and the other um, scholars that were there. And it gets taken and it gets spread out through all of the land. And that is the fire that sparks the Reformation. So uh, one of the things that you see, though, is like I said, you see this darkness, you see this absence of truth. And then the Lord just kind of sets the stage for this fire to fully envelop everywhere around it. So uh, once people see what Luther's saying and they start experiencing the gospel for themselves and the solas that come out of that really impacts everybody. So what I mean by the solas, there were five distinguishing marks that the reformers were teaching. The first one was sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone. The next is solas Christus, which is Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. These are things that that Martin Luther was, um, that he was saying are things that need to take place. Scripture alone is able to save. Scripture alone is able to teach us. Scripture alone, is. we don't have to add to Scripture. We don't have to listen to what other people are saying. We don't need to hear what the Vatican's input is. Uh, scripture alone is sufficient. Then solus Christus, Christ alone is able to save. We are saved by faith alone, sola fide, uh, in Christ alone. And it has nothing to do with what we can do. And then um, we're saved by grace through faith. So sola gratia, uh, the grace of God alone, is what allows us to have faith in Christ alone. And all of this takes place, soli dea gloria, for the glory of or to the glory of God alone. And so these are some points that really came out of the Reformation. Just you, you see the truth of God's word penetrating a culture and penetrating a people that was unprecedented, maybe not unprecedented. We see that happen in Scripture and all. But uh, this is something, like I said, that happened 504 years ago, and we're still talking about it today. Um, so there's this great transformation that takes place, and you have people like Luther and Calvin and numerous other people that sparked this. And then we see the Puritans come out of this, and you see a a lot of the early American church fathers that are here because of that same thing. And so, yeah, important time in history, but there are a lot of similarities. So one of the things that um, I know we've talked about before is this distinction between a Reformation and a revival. I I remember growing up, we used to, I mean, we used to have revivals at our church and many churches I know do, our our church now does. I remember there was also a thing that we used to call in the youth group called, um, it was along the lines of burnout, but it wasn't burnout. It was weird. Uh It was like, okay, so like, you know how you go on a youth retreat? Yeah. And you know, you feel revived, you feel you're fired up on fire for the Lord. And then that would last for like a little while. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Um, And some people lasted to like two weeks. Right. Um, You know, it it, it eventually kind of gave out. 
Right. And so in my mind, you know, maybe talk about why is it that that did not happen with the Reformation? So you've you got these things that happen, you know, in churches and things that happen in youth groups and things like that, that eventually, you know, they, they are really, you know, people are excited for the gospel, excited for the Lord and, and on fire for the, the Lord and things like that for a little while. And then they yeah. fade out. But the Reformation, right. we're here 500 years later, and we're talking about it, and it's still impacting us. And churches right. are still being built with the type of the theological mindset that the Reformers had. Right. Um, yeah, well, and I think that that, I think the answer is kind of in the in why we titled this the way that we did. How come we didn't say that there's a need for revival in the American church today? A lot of people have been, I know, I, I born in the early 80s, uh, grew up, late 80s, 90s is when I was in church and youth groups, all that. And since I've been in church, there's been this talk of, we really need this. We need uh, a revival. We need a national revival. We need a personal revival, that kind of thing. And it seems like that word has been tossed around quite a bit, like in, the, in the time period that you're saying, right? you know. And so, well, my question to you would be, how would you define, what would you say the difference between a revival and a reformation is? Yeah. So I would say that, and I like when I'm explaining things, I like to use analogies because it just helps me to visualize. All right. So one that I've used before is a revival is when a house that is being, that has been built, gets hit with something and it falls to pieces and then they build it back up the like way a ball it was. of fire like a ball of in fire the sky? in the sky that comes down okay. and crashes your house yeah. and then you got to rebuild it right it is the exact same that it was when it's rebuilt okay well so like thinking about revival like if you have to be revived what's going on there you've died Okay. And so let's say you have a heart attack, right? And you have to be revived. Right. When you're revived, is your heart better? No. I mean, not your heart's just been brought back to life. Right. Whatever caused like, that issue right. in the first place isn't fixed though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of goes with your house yeah. analogy. Yeah. And then like a reformation would be going back to maybe like the house. It's the a change of the foundation. So that right. you build the house back up better. Or like you like we've talked about before, the example you just gave of someone having a heart attack, dying and then being revived, brought back to life versus like when you come to know the Lord. And or maybe you, just unconscious. Yeah, unconscious. Yeah. Versus like when you come to know the Lord and you've been at that point, you're a new creation, you know, right. And I know we talked about it before. You were saying like our hearts are reformed to what they were before the fall in yeah. that at that point, you know, or they are being reformed to the, right. what they were before the fall. So that's what I would say it, that in my mind separates the two. Yeah. So just to give a definition to reformation or to reform, if you take the root of that reformation, it's just bringing back to shape or bringing back to form of what was or what should have been so like if you look at adam adam's created in the garden by god he's shaped and molded and um he's created in god's image god looks at adam and says that everything that he's created is good right at, you've got adam well he looks at adam and says well it's not good for you to be alone you need a helpmate mm -hmm. but adam and eve uh god looks at them together and says this is good and um then we see the fall take place and from that, Adam and Eve is cursed. All of creation is cursed. And all of Adam's descendants are cursed. They're cursed with this sin nature that they're born with now. Romans 1 tells us that we're born dead in our trespasses and sin. Because we're dead, we have no desire to seek after God. We are just as a person in a grave. We don't desire. We don't seek after him. Romans 1, it's it's convicting all of us uh, because of Adam, our father. And, and so there's this need 
for being reshaped and reformed back into what God originally created and had in mind. And that's what happens in salvation. He takes this dead heart of stone and he breathes life into it and gives us this heart of flesh, this heart that seeks after him, this heart that loves him, this heart that's able to acknowledge him as good because it's now alive and made well. And so then our whole Christian life after that is us continually being shaped and formed. Uh, we call it being sanctified, being set apart for holiness, made in more and more into the image of Christ until we die and no longer have to deal with the flesh. Um, we are then given resurrected bodies and all of that. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about reformation, uh, the need for reformation in the American church. It's not just this revival of let's have this mountaintop experience and then we're going to hold hands and we're going to sing Kumbaya and we're going to cry and we're going to do these things. And then we go on about our life. But we want this total reformation, this resetting of the foundation to be taken off of the shifting sands and put on the solid rock of Christ. Uh, when you look at the solas, when you look at the reformation, when you look at what came out of that, you had Christ glorified, Christ exalted, the word exalted. And, and it's just this pointing back to Christ being sufficient, God being glorified in all that we do. His word being sufficient to teach, to reproof, to correct, to do all these things. And that was totally transformative in the life of the people. So with that in mind, let's kind of look forward then to today. Why are we saying that we need this to take place in the American church today? What are some, some reasons that would lead you to make that claim, Andrew? Well, I think that part of it is just looking at the fact that we... I, I probably for the past hundred years have been calling for a revival in the church. I mean, that's what I, I don't know how long it's been, right. but like for as long as I can remember. And then I know based on people I've talked to is was going on before I was born. And I think that part of that is because the culture is continuing to go further and further and further away from the word of God and what you know churches and, and church members and people who are in Christ believe that the culture should look like and that i think you know causes the causes churches to kind of be reactionary and say well we just need we need revival we need revival we need revival mm -hmm. so going back to what the reformation was 500 years ago of getting back to the solas getting back to um, what God says these, you know, things are in right. the church, in life, how we are to, well, sola scriptura, right? So everything that we need is in scripture. Getting right. back to that, I think that if that were the way that churches today operated, I think that there would be different fruits than there are, right? Yeah. So I think that if the church by and large, and when we say that, we're not saying that there are not churches that are faithful, out there that are faithfully committed to the word of God and everything that they do. Right. But if that were the majority and if that were, you know, the American church by and large, I, I think that the culture itself would look a lot different. Yeah. So when I look at it and, and I see what is happening in the church, what's happening in the culture today in America, that's kind of where I say, okay, you know, there's something deeper going on here than simply a, uh, revival situation right and, and and the things the other thing is that the things that have been happening in the culture are the fruits of stuff that's been going on for 
I mean, 50 years, 60 years, you know? Right. And so, so that is probably my answer as to why I think that reformation is needed. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. And, and like we were saying, so like with a revival, you see this bringing back to, to life, but there's, there's not really a permanent fix, you know? So if we're using the example of guy has a heart attack, uh, he gets shocked back into life he's been revived there's still a need for heart surgery there's still a need for catheter there's still a need for whatever caused that Mm. issue in the first place right and and so when i talk about reformation that's kind of what i'm talking about is this total restructuring and bringing back to original form so like if you look at the culture today through time of recording this podcast we're in 2021 2020 2021 has been a a lot of things that have taken place in a short amount of time and there's been a lot of people that have been questioning different things we've seen a lot of pastors that have been uh, really tested by what's been going on in the church and some of them have crumbled under the leadership because they're looking to what is this guy doing what is that guy doing uh, what is my convention doing? What is, you know, whatever's going on here? And we're seeing that there's a lot of uh, jellyfish type pastors that mm. aren't willing to take a stand and and have the strong backbone that's required of the under shepherd of of Christ's church. You mm. know, and 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 so I think a lot of the things that we're facing. So like just you know whoever the the person in office the things that are going on, the push with the LGBTQ plus community, all, all these things that are happening, they're not here except for the sexual revolution in the 60s and then has that's been building on itself, you know? Right. And and so you like, if you look back, we've seen taking God out of schools, we see this, this public school system that's teaching with an atheistic understanding. And so while not all teachers are teaching that there is no God, everybody's teaching science and math and history apart from God, right? right? They can't teach God in these things. So by definition, it's without God, atheistic. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a bunch of people that are being taught by this atheistic system. Then we also see this complete destructuring of the family. We see this destructuring of, of the individual where we're now not where God created us, but we can choose based off of our desires. We see truth is becoming relative to the individual. So my truth is true for me, whereas that might be your truth as long as it doesn't impose on my truth. Right. Know? And the church has been predominantly silent on this stuff. So we've we've spoke out. We've done some things. Uh, we see a abortion that, you know, there's the, the pro-life movement and stuff like that. But there's that's really become this political monster, mm-hmm. you know. Um, industry. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so the church isn't speaking out like we should be. We're not taking, if we believe that Christ's word is sufficient for all things, that Christ alone is able to save and that all of this is for the glory of God alone. If we believe that, then we're going to engage people with the truth of the gospel. You mm-hmm. know, think of the great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples and teach them to obey. Mm-hmm. all that I've commanded you. That is a, a, a statement that Christ is saying, I have been given all authority. Now go and teach everybody to obey all that I've commanded. The church in large in America has not done that as faithfully as we should have done that. There's been enemies at our gate that we should have seen that we've not seen. I, I, I really do think that there's a need for reformation not just for the individual to be revived, but for all of this to be reformed. Right. You know, the individual, 
the church. And this kind of gets into, if you look at the governing systems that God has given us as a blessing is the church, the family, and then our government. Mm -hmm. The church is there to be the body of Christ, to love and support and encourage one another, to glorify God together with, to weep with those that weep, mourn with those that mourn, laugh with those that laugh, uh, to be the display of Christ to those around us. And the church has a structure. You've got the pastor is the under shepherd. Christ is the head. The pastor is the under shepherd. He's teaching and preaching the word of God. And the the church body is submitting to his leadership in as much as what he's teaching is God's word, you know? Right. And so we submit to him as we submit to Christ because he's been put there by Christ as, you know, uh, as, as the leadership of the church. And so then likewise, we have the family where the father is the pastor of the home and the family submits to his spiritual leadership. Then you have the, the mother and father who are helpmates uh, to one another and we see that that structure that's given and and then we have the government where Christ is establishing governments uh, for the purpose of protecting the people and there is scriptural reference for what a good government looks like and then there's also scriptural reference for what it looks like for the government to step outside of the authority that God has given them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think why reformations are so long lasting and revivals are not. So when you think about revivals, you think about first and second great awakening. You think about, you know, different things. Mm-hmm. But I think a reformation, it all of these areas are transformed. Right. You know, when there's this turning back to God and his word being all sufficient, Christ being all sufficient, God being seen as holy, when that happens, then the the family is transformed. The church is transformed. And the government, so politics always flow downstream from culture. Right. Um, the American church for the past 30, 40 years has been very fixated on politics, but not fixated on the culture, you know? And so we want to try to subdue the culture with biblical or Christian politics, right. you know? But that you can't regulate culture by politics. Right. And so what would need to happen is once the culture shifts, the politics are going to shift. You know, if we're not focused on the culture and dealing with the heart of the culture and bringing the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture, uh, if the culture is not transformed by the gospel, then politics aren't going to be transformed. The government's not going to be transformed by the gospel, you know, and, and, and all that flows out of that. Yeah. I, I think that's why there's a need for reformation is because we need to see all these things impacted by the truth of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that the Reformation does is kind of just a, a side note here is that when you look at what the results of the Reformation were, I mean, you're talking about the restructuring of like entire nations. I mean, the restructuring of, I mean, they, there are things that I think as Christians that we have written off as just, well, it's just how it's going to be, right. you know, but. I mean, when the culture is transformed. Well, and, and a lot of that is uh, cultural for the American church, too, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, the whole analogy of the ostrich with his head in the sand, which they don't actually do, I found out. Um, they oh. don't put their heads in the sand. Oh, no. What are uh, we going to do now? <laughs> that's what Google told me, at least. Yeah. But the analogy still stands. So, yeah. like, you know, you see the analogy where the ostrich just sticks its head in the sand when something bad is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, or a better example, when... My oldest son, Elijah, when he was uh, two years old, would play hide-and-go-seek, and, go seek, and uh, 
and he'd go run in my closet and cover his head with my shirt that was hanging down, you know? Yeah. And so like you can see him from the neck down, but he thinks he's hidden from <laughs> the, the danger to yeah. come because he hit his face. Um, but I think that's how the American church has been reacting. We've been seeing different things that have been happening going on. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, the Lord's about to rapture the church. And so because of that, I don't have to engage the culture. And I think that's a horrible understanding mm-hmm. because what that does is it gets us to where we're at right now. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're here in this place. The church has not been bringing the light to the darkness. We've been letting the culture teach and preach and do all that it does without the, the church bringing the truth of the gospel to the conversation, yeah. you know? And so musicians are able to preach through their music. Social media influencers are able to influence through their, their social media. Yeah. yeah. We, like I said, with schools, we've been teaching an atheistic education to kids. Uh, Vody Bauckham, he said, you know, talking about the, the American Christian, he said one of the, our, our major downfall, downfalls is that there's like 94%, I don't know, in the 90s, percent of American families are sending their kids into public education. Yeah. And he said, uh, we keep sending our kids to Rome and wondering why they're coming back Romans. Mm-hmm. You know, we've not been engaging the culture with the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So my question for you, though, would be how do we do that? So we see that there's this need for reformation in the American church today. What would you say the steps are to get there? Um, I though, So I led worship at a church in savannah for a couple years and the pastor down there he always used to say the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter right and i think that that's where it starts is and there are times like we've i don't know we've talked about this before and like even i when i'm thinking about trying to get down to the bottom of it i'll say well we need to understand that god is sovereign he's got authority he's got all these things and we need to go out and teach the the nations to obey. Right. But really, you know, when we talked recently about it, it was, we were kind of going back to Isaiah 6. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll flip there real quick, but basically Isaiah at that point is seeing God for who he is, you know, and, and he's come undone. And he basically says Isaiah 6, 4, he's describing what is what he's seeing. He says in the foundations of the thresholds, shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and i said woe is me for i am lost for i'm a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts so basically isaiah is saying i'm completely undone at what i'm beholding because god is so holy he is so he that i am not worthy to be in the presence of him right yeah, we I think need to get back to a place where we are we are seeing and beholding the holiness of God, and who He is truly as the Holy King of Kings. I mean, He is the Lord of Hosts. You know, right? Apart from Christ, we have no justification before the throne of God. Yeah, right. And so, um, and and it goes back to my story too. I mean, the Lord was He broke me down into a place of sheer. Des- despair, desperation, right. and to the point where I had nothing to lean on. Yeah. Right. And so it was from there that I was able to really kind of like Isaiah did and look up and see, oh my gosh, you know, God is so much bigger than this. Right. You know? Yeah. But what's fascinating about, and this may be jumping the gun a little bit, but about what he says, um, for I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm in the midst of a people 
of unclean lips. Well, you know, Isaiah was a prophet, and so his lips are what he used to serve the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Primarily, you know, and so um, he's basically saying, I cannot do what I was, what I've been called to do because I am a sinner in the presence of a holy God. Right. Um, yeah, well, and I think even more so, like, he wasn't even called to be a prophet until his lips were purified. Well, yeah, that's right. Because then, once he's cleansed, then he hears the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right. He says, here am I, send me. He says, go and tell this people yeah, this. That's you right. Know? And so, um, but I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the The number one thing is we need to understand the holiness of God. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to a guy last night. Um, as we're recording this, they're having the uh, 3G conference oh, yeah. in Atlanta, and he's been going to that. And so I was just asking him, what were kind of some of your takeaways from the sessions today? And one of the things that he said that struck him, and, you know, it wasn't this new revelation, but uh, something that struck him, he was, he was, they were talking about the holiness of God and the importance and the all-encompassing power that is God and his glory. But one of the things that he said that they took away was you don't learn the holiness of God by teaching the holiness of God. You know, mm-hmm. you learn it by seeing God and right. seeing his attributes and seeing all of that. So like you could just read a book on God's holiness and that's not what we need. We don't just need teaching on the holiness of God. We need teaching on Christ crucified. We need teaching on the gospel, you yeah. know? Um, and, and, I think Isaiah 6 is a a prime example of that because you've got Isaiah and he's in the temple and then he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. They're doing uh, what they're doing. And then they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called fills the house with smoke. And then he says, well, what was me for I'm undone? And that undone means like, completely disintegrated like us and our sinfulness before god and his holiness it just completely evaporates us you know what i mean it wasn't just the angels singing that god is holy that made him fall on his face Mm. it was him getting a glimpse of who god is yeah you know and uh and so that takes me back to peter and acts when they're taken and arrested for healing the guy at the gate Mm -hmm. when they stand before the courts they say basically i cannot help but tell of the things that i've seen and heard from our time spent with christ right once we're with christ and we see him and we hear him and we're spending time with him it transforms us and we can't help but tell of Mm -hmm. what we've seen and heard you know yeah and uh and so isaiah and similarly from his encounter with god falls on his face because of God's holiness. Right. You know, the angels can declare anything in heaven before the throne, but what they declare is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Yeah. God is completely unlike anything else. He's completely set apart. Yeah, I, I think if we want to see this reformation in the American church, there's got to be this getting back to the centrality of Christ and the gospel preached in the pulpits. Yeah. You know, there's got to be back this centrality of God's word being all sufficient for all aspects of life, for teaching, for reproof, for counseling, for understanding, for being able to see what's going on in the world around us. Um, You know, we need to understand that God's word was not for a specific people in a specific time, but 
it's for all people of all time. You mm-hmm. know, it's, um, it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Once we do that, once we get a glimpse in the mirror that is God's word, it causes us, one, to see him holy, but then in his holiness, we see our sinfulness. And once we see that, it causes us to fall on our face and repent of our sin. Therefore, we can then be cleansed and used by him. Right. You know, and so God has, uh, so like Martin Luther, go back to the Reformation, you've got this guy who is just this monk in Germany and he gets into the word and he deals with Christ and he deals with the holiness of God and it causes him to see his sinfulness, but then also the flaws in the religious system that he's a part of, you know? Mm -hmm. So then he does the 95 thesis on the door and, and the Lord just sends that out. And then we get to the point that he's at the Diet of Worms and stands before them. He says, I can't recant of what I've said. You know, mm-hmm. here I stand, I can do no other. I stand solely on God's word and I can't stand anywhere else. And right. that's what we need the church to do in the culture today is say, here we stand fully on God's word in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Uh, because we have nothing else to stand on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only one solid rock. Everything else is shifting sands. Right. I feel like so many churches have been planted in the shifting sands of the culture that we're just getting tossed to and fro. We're not mm-hmm. anchored in Christ like we need to be. Right. And, um, and I think if we do that, uh, if we anchor ourselves in Christ and his word and we let it be fully sufficient, then the Lord is going to raise up Martin Luther's and John Calvin's and all the people we need, um, to see this reformation that will come to the American church. Yeah. Uh, I believe that it will happen. I believe that God's word um, promises that he is going to make all his enemies his footstool and uh, he's using the church to go about that business. And so we need to get away from the, the ostrich in the sand. We need to get away from just letting the culture do what it does and have our eyes just gazed up at the sky. You know, that's what the disciples did when Jesus rose. You know, they're staring up into the sky and then the angel says, what are you doing staring into the sky? It would be about the father's business. There's a lot of churches that need to quit staring into the sky and they need to be about the father's business. Being being the body of Christ to those around us, which includes the the culture today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So with that, what would you say, like, what do you think the initial things to come from that would be? So when a church begins to do that, or let's say that, there may be people, you know, listening who are in a church who, you know, where that's not necessarily yeah. what they're about. You know what I mean? Um, like, what do you think would inevitably happen when, say, maybe church members begin to do that? Yeah, well, I, I think just like looking at the Reformation, if you were to say, what do you think would happen if somebody would come up with these contentious points with what they're seeing in the church yeah. and they were to just discuss it with some people? What right. do you think would happen? I don't think anybody would have seen the the that's true the yeah. kindle that was already in place for the fire to be lit right and and i think that we're seeing that in our culture today so post tenebras lux out of darkness light we're in a little different situation there there was just this absence of truth in god's word here there's this oversaturation right so like people heaping up for themselves ear ticklers you know mm-hmm. you can have any kind of stance whether it's political or whether it's theological Whatever it is, you can have any kind of stance and you can find 15 guys that have the credentials 
that you're right. looking for to back what you're saying to be true. Yeah. You know, there's this oversaturation of information. And while that that is and can be a great thing, mm-hmm. it also just inundates people to this numbness of information, right. you know. But I think the stage is set that there are a lot of American Christians that are are wanting a voice mm-hmm. to 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 speak out to what Scripture's saying. I think an example of that is there there are people, uh, whether they're infants in Christ or nominal believers, mm-hmm. they're flocking to things like Tom McDonald, who's a rapper, you mm-hmm. know, and he speaks on cultural issues that are completely different than what every other rapper is saying. And Mm -hmm. he's getting millions and millions of followers because of the message that he's saying. You know, there's things like that. There's pastors that are coming out and they're saying things a lot more harshly than that need to be said, but they have a following because people are hungry for some of the truth that's being said. Uh, People that are actually standing up to the culture and, and, and so people are flocking to that. I think that there is that Kindle that's set mm-hmm. that if the Martin Luther's and the John Calvin's, the Lord's going to raise them up, but that they're raised up the same way that Isaiah was. Right. They have to see God. They have to have that experience of being with him and being transformed by him, being purified by him and then professing yeah. here. Am I send me go and tell this people this, mm-hmm. you know? And so ours isn't a prophetic word. It's just getting back to the truth of the gospel yeah, uh, and taking it to the heart of the culture. So, so kind of our slogan is bringing the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of why we've started this podcast. Right. You know, we want to bring God's truth to the culture today. And as the Lord starts raising up more and more people with that desire, not just teaching different theological truths, but actually pointing people to encounter Christ, Yeah, you know, and see him holy and high and lifted up. I think you see this reformation that starts to transform churches and families and governments and politics and right. all of that stuff. You yeah. know? So I think that's kind of the, the answer. I think the Lord is capable of doing that. I think he's set the, set the stage for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think he's kind of moving the players around on the yeah. board, you know, um, yeah. but it will look different than it has. There's going to have to be people that have a backbone. Right. People that are willing to be spoken badly of for the sake of the gospel. People that are willing to stand firmly on the truth of God's word. Right. Luther wasn't popular in the church that day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, they brought him to the Diet of Worms and they're saying, recant all of this or we're going to kill you. Yeah. You know, um, so he wasn't well liked by the religious establishment of the day. Right. You know, and, and so we need pastors. We need men and women of God to be able to say, here I stand solely on the word of God, not political opinion, not man's opinion, not anything else other than here's God's word. Here's what it says. Here's what it means. Here I stand. I can do no other, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And when that happens, I think it spreads like wildfire. Right. Well, I say we leave this here for the day Yeah. and uh, we can pick it up again in future episodes, but we appreciate all of you that are here and, Mm -hmm. um, Like I said, just uh, subscribe to this channel if you want to catch our next episode. We post every Sunday, and we will see you next week. Yep. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.